I'm going to be distracted. My shoe's untied. Much better. Yes, I, I need a cowboy to help tie my shoes. Well, welcome again. Uh, we are continuing our journey through the book of Acts. We have transversed so far this, uh, this chapter, chapter 13, and the second half of it. Uh, as we continue to see how the gospel spread through the early church, how the early church expanded, and about how uh, Paul and other figures were all on these missionary journeys to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone who would hear. And so that is our plan for today. And so before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That you have revealed yourself through your holy word, that we can open it, we can know you, we can see you, we can see you in action throughout history, and we can know your salvation plan about how you, you have saved us through your Son. How you grew your early church through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by ordinary average Christians like us. Well, I pray for today as we open up your word that we can see you. We can see what you call us to do in response to what you've done. That we can be moved in the ways you wish us to be moved. That we can be taught in the ways you need to teach us. That you show us what we need to see. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. There is something wrong. Ask anyone on the street, ask anyone you know, and they'll actually agree with that. There is distance, there's something wrong with society, there's something wrong. It's actually one of the certifiable facts of our existence that this is not how it's supposed to be. We experience that in all the hardships we go through. We experience that almost day to day as we experience a broken world. So there's something wrong. People try to explain it in many different ways, and people have so many explanations, as, as actually probably as many as there are people on this earth, that people try to explain what is wrong. But they all agree there's something not right. There's something or someone needs to be blamed for what is going on. C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, expressed this in that we all have this sense of oughtness, that things ought to be something different, that people ought to treat me better, that I ought to act in a way I don't act. There's a sense of oughtness that we all feel, and this phenomena of our life is, is real, and it resonates with us, and we, we want something to fix it because we know this is not how it's supposed to be. Well, the Bible and Christianity, God, I would say, offers us the only explanation that makes sense of this feeling. The only explanation that makes sense of where we find ourselves. And that's the fact that we, that ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against their good father, their God, and went their own way, sin entered and shattered our existence. That the impact of sin and the curse that followed changed everything. That our relationships with each other and our relationships with ourselves were, were fractured, but most importantly, and, and all those things flowed from the fact that our relationship with our God, our Father, our Maker, was now one of estrangement. That the God we were made and designed to have a relationship with 
the one we are only, can only find completeness and satisfaction if we know him, that one, we now cannot find that because of sin. And that we have a broken relationship with him. That this stands in the way. There's something wrong. But what's the solution? Do we look within ourselves? No, because we know we cannot climb that hill. We know we cannot be good enough. We know we can't do enough because we fell again and again. But how can we be reconciled with our Creator? How can we be one with our Father again? How can we do that? It can only happen if our good Father forgives us of Jesus Christ. That through him, his life when he lived perfectly for us, and his death where he took our sin upon him, and his life when he was resurrected, showing us what awaits us, in that good, glorious news of who Jesus is, we are offered forgiveness. A forgiveness that now can reconcile us back to our good Father, can bring us back to our God, where we can have a relationship with him. This is the gospel that we hope to preach every Sunday morning. And this is the good news that was preached in the book of Acts as the church expanded. When any of those apostles, or when Paul, or when Barnabas, or when their companions walked into a city and they started to proclaim the good news, they were proclaiming this, that people could have forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ they can be reconciled back to their creator. And we see this in the book of Acts, chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts, chapter 13. And if you don't, don't worry. It'll be on the screen. And bear with us. This is the last part, starting in verse 13. We're going to be reading the rest of the chapter. This is a little bit of a longer story, but it's a full story of, as, as uh, Paul's missionary journey. So let's read this together, starting in verse 13. It says, Now Paul... And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So these guys remember from last week, we talked about how Paul and Barnabas, they were in Cyprus, and now they're going, they're leaving that small island, and they're traveling to a different city, and they had a traveling partner named John, John Mark, and he now leaves them and heads back to Jerusalem. But it says, But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his, his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, son of the 
sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understood the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it was written, also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised from the dead no more to return to corruption, he, spoke, spoke, he has spoken in this way, I give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says, says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see. He played with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For as so, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began to rejoice in glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went on, went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. As I said, this was a large section of text that you really could break it down really easy to see what's happening. You got where we see how Paul's missionary journey is continuing, and we see Paul's uh, sermon to the people um, in Antioch, and then we see their response. And when we look at that, how would we summarize what was being preached and what was going on here? And I'll just summarize it in this way, is that the message of salvation which Paul preached is that whoever believes in Jesus... Jesus, who is a fulfillment of the Old Testament story, as well as all the prophecies uh, promising the Savior, can have forgiveness of sins. A forgiveness which is something that the law could not bring and can only find by knowing Jesus. Well, that's a big summary, so we can even further it, summarize that summary and just say the gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. That is what 
uh, Paul was saying the good news, the good news, these events that he's declaring, he's proclaiming of Jesus brings forgiveness. If we know him, if we know his life, if we know his resurrection, if we believe who he is and who he said he is, and we can look at this passage, and I'm going to go and break it into three parts so we can understand what's going on here. We're going to see the gospel mission, the gospel message, and then the gospel model that this gives us. So let's look at the gospel mission first and foremost. This, this passage starts with uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they're in Cyprus, and they head from Cyprus to this town of Perga. And if we have a little map, if, if you probably have a Bible, and you can probably flip to the back of the Bible and see these maps here, but this is Paul's first missionary journey. Remember, he was sent off from Antioch, that's in Syria, and they hit Cyprus. And now today we're talking about how he left Paphos and went to Perga, which is in southern modern-day Turkey. And then from there, they travel up to Antioch, another Antioch in this other region. And so that's just to get in your minds where they are traveling. And so they're traveling there, and they go to the city Antioch, not to be confused with the Antioch they left. And if you're curious, if you're history buff about why are there so many cities named Antioch, you can blame Alexander the Great because he had a lot of generals and a lot of them, their names included the name Antiochus and Antioch didn't name stuff after himself. And so some guy got to name himself after the Antioch in Syria and some guy got the smaller Antioch up in modern day Turkey. And so that's why there's all those Antiochs. But this is a different Antioch, a smaller place and they train companion. John Mark, and he's traveling with them from this island of Cyprus, in, uh, Cyprus and he now hits Perga with them, but all of a sudden he leaves when they say, hey, we're going to continue on to Antioch. Now, we don't know why he leaves. We know this causes tension within the relationship later, because later, as we see in Acts 15, uh, Barnabas wants to bring John Mark back with them on another missionary journey, and Paul's like, nah, this guy's a quitter. And so they get into a fight and actually causes Paul and Barnabas to split, uh, the, the, you know, to have like the first Baptist split, you might say, and they go their own ways. Uh, but we'll get to that in Acts 15. But we don't, so we don't know why John left here. We don't know what's going on. But I would say this, I, we probably can rest assured in this fact. Paul knew his gospel mission. He's firm in that. We'll see this again and again in the book of Acts, that Paul knew what he was called to do. He was to proclaim the gospel. He was going to go places that needed to hear about Jesus Christ, and nothing was going to stop him. And so he was on fire, dead set, to keep on going no matter what. And so he knew his gospel mission. And the funny thing is, because of speculation, but there's, there's a lot of people say ministering there, and then Paul says, hey, we're going to go now to Antioch, and he would be pointing north. And what is north? This huge mountain train, uh, mountain range. That's the word. Right there, snow-capped. It would be scary to think about crossing that. So a lot of people are like, well, maybe John Mark sees that and says, you know what? Let's head back to Jerusalem. It's better there. We don't know. But we do know that Paul sees a huge mountain range and says, guess what? There's people on the other side of those mountains that need to know who Christ is. He knew his gospel mission. Nothing would stop him. Mountains wouldn't stop him. Persecution won't stop him. The authorities won't stop him. He is on a gospel mission. He, so he moves forward, even if it means losing 
a companion because he knows what God has called him to do. Paul knew his gospel mission. Do you? Because the fact of the matter is, if you call Christ your Savior, if you know Jesus Christ in that saving way, call, take the name Christian upon yourself, we all have a gospel mission. The greater gospel mission of proclaiming Jesus to the nations, of making disciples, this is true for all Christians. So each individual has their own gospel mission that fits into that larger gospel mission. Is to all who would hear. Some people have the gospel mission of leading ministries or churches where people can hear the gospel. Some people have the gospel ministry of leading the families in a way that their children can come to know the Lord. Some people have the gospel mission of leading businesses or being an employee in a business where, they, you are, where you love people and serve people so that they can see what the gospel means when it's reflected in your life. Some people have the gospel missions, uh, mission of just being that good neighbor that opens up avenues where you can share the gospel. We all have a gospel mission where we are called to be the disciples of Christ in this world and proclaim to people who do not know him the realities of Jesus and the salvation that we can have in him, the forgiveness that we can have in him. And we need to be like Paul and be single-mindedness in our gospel mission. If you don't know what your gospel mission is, we need to look around us and see where God has placed us. Some of us might be called to leave and change and go across seas or across town or wherever it might be to proclaim the gospel, but some of us are called to dig in where we are and start proclaiming Christ to those relationships we, we have in our life already. Whatever it looks like, we're called to do it with that Christ because he knows this fact. The gospel brings forgiveness. The gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. And that's what he declares in this Antioch. We can look at the gospel message that Paul preaches he goes into Antioch and has his, his, his kind of pattern that he establishes. He sits down in the synagogue and after, after they've done the, the reading of the word where they've read some of the law in the Old Testament and the prophets, they basically say, hey, these are Jewish people from out of town. Do you have anything you want to share? And so Paul stands up and I bet they didn't expect what he was about to share. And he starts declaring to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how does he do that? It makes sense. He looks at his, his uh, audience, these Jewish people or people who have converted to Judaism, and he says, hey, now I'm going to take you through a little rundown of your own history. I'm going to show you who you are. I'm going to show you how God has moved throughout history to provide leader after leader for you, how he's provided for you, how he's fulfilled all these promises for you. And then I'm going to show you how all your historic, all this historic um nature of who you are is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That your history actually comes to a pinnacle, comes to a peak in Jesus Christ, the ultimate leader, the ultimate king that is given to you so that you can... He, he, he finishes this historical section and goes into the life of Jesus, how people, uh, the rulers in Jerusalem, actually fulfilled prophecy because they condemned him. It's this run, wonderful irony that you can read in this, this uh, message of Paul's where he says... These rulers who should know him through the prophets. I mean, they're read every Sabbath, he says. They don't recognize him. And yet, because they don't recognize him, 
They condemn him, and God even uses that to fulfill the prophecies themselves. And so he's showing that in the life and death of Jesus, we have the promise of Scripture fulfilled, and this is attested, and he pulls out all of these quotations from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalm 10, all pointing to the fulfillment of Jesus as being the fulfillment of, uh, of, of Old Testament prophecy. These are actually the same passages that Peter used in the Sermon of Pentecost. These are the same passages that the apostles kept on using again and again through the book of Acts. It's almost like they listened to one another and they knew the gospel. And it was showing how these all pointed and found the culmination in Jesus Christ. And then he comes to the heart of the matter, I believe, when he calls for a response. Showing how Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. Is, is, and then he says in verse 38, he says this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. He looks at him and says, In this man, Jesus, you can have forgiveness of sins. The thing that's wrong, the thing that you're searching for, the thing that you had to go back and back to the temple and sacrifice for is all accomplished in this one man. The thing that you're striving for as you follow the law of Moses that you could not do well enough, guess what? Is accomplished in him, in Jesus. That everyone can know this forgiveness through Jesus Christ. This forgiveness of sins has been the centerpiece of the preaching in the book of Acts since the beginning. Peter spoke this in the, in the sermon in Pentecost in, in Acts 2.38 when he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said this again when John and him stood before the council as they were questioning him. And what does he say in Acts 5.31? He says, God exalted him, talking about Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give rep- As Peter is going and he's proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, what does he say? He says to all him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That Paul is preaching the same gospel that Peter preached, which is the same good news that Jesus himself preached when he was ministering on this world, that through him we can have forgiveness of sins. That through Jesus, we can be reconciled with our maker. Through him, we can come and know who God is and have that relationship that we're made for. And he warns them. He says, don't scoff at this. Don't scoff and so perish. He pulls out a quotation from the book of Habakkuk, everyone's favorite book to quote from. He says, if you scoff at this, you'll be like them. You'll perish because of your doubt. You'll perish because of your unbelief. Paul simply preached the gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. Paul knew the gospel. He was trained in the gospel. You can see how this pattern, this model of the gospel that's throughout the whole Acts, he knew this. 
and he proclaimed it to people. He claimed he was trying to convince them of the reality of it. This is the truth. If you stand outside of this truth, you're going to perish. If you don't believe this, you're destined to be doomed. You have to believe this. Believe in who Jesus is. And we need to be able to articulate the gospel just as well. Paul knew how to articulate for his audience. We need to be able to speak the gospel to those people we know in a way they understand, and they see the urgency, they see the need, they see the reality that is true for them as well. That we need to be gospel people. When you come to realize the gospel that God has saved you through Christ, through no doing of your own, but only by grace, only using your faith as an instrument to connect to who God is, when you realize that truth, the gospel grabs hold of you. And you start majoring in gospel and mindering everything else. That the gospel should now be dripping from your lips when you speak in conversation with people because you know this forgiveness that you have through Jesus Christ and you want others to have it as well. That we need to be a gospel people who know the gospel message. We see the need of all humanity, no matter where they stand, no matter their background, no matter what they've been through, and no matter how good their life looks, they need to know who Christ is. Because the gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. People responded. And in response, I think we also see a gospel model. People actually divided on how to respond. It says a lot of the people, a lot of the, the Jewish people and the, uh, the, the converts to Jerusalem, saw and heard and they were convinced and they're like hey we want to hear this next sabbath we want to hear this again and so paul and barnabas are like yeah we can do it again and so they gather again and it says with a little bit of hyperbole the whole city gathered to hear paul and barnabas hear this gospel message so much so that the jewish people who were not convinced got a little jealous Everyone's going to hear them. So what do they do? They stir up trouble. They stir up the people in high standing and say, let's get these guys out. And they cause problems. And actually, they, so many problems that, they, that Paul and Barnabas end up leaving and going to a neighboring city because of that. And next week, we're going to talk about how that seems to continue to happen. And people cause problems, and they keep on moving around to proclaim the gospel. But they, and so through that, they actually make this statement, this gospel uh, model where Paul and Barnabas say, hey, we come and we preach first to the Jews, give you the chance, because you guys should know this. You guys have the background to understand this. You not know this. And because of this, the Gentiles are like, yes, we finally get, we now get to hear the gospel and it grows. And there's this model that keeps on being played out wherever you see Paul and Barnabas and Paul and these and the other apostles traveling through Acts. They first, what do they do? Go and preach to the Jews. And then after that, they preach to the Gentiles. Now, is this a model that we follow today? Not so much. It's a little different. It's a different context. This is the beginning of the church where you have to remember as we study through the book of Acts, the church just was totally Jewish and now has just started reaching beyond those bowels bounds to Gentiles. And so this is a different model that we follow today because we have live in a very Gentile church. But it's funny that this model, I think, has relevance today because they first went to those who should understand. They went to those who knew Scripture, who had 
been raised in it, who should recognize who Jesus is. And that sounds really familiar to me because we live in a place of the country that there's a whole lot of people who are raised in the church. There's a whole lot of people who know or have heard things of, of the church. There are a whole lot of people who might know some Bible stories. And these are people you would be declaring the gospel to, and they should respond. They, should, they have knowledge that you would think makes them respond. But sadly, all too often, it's so much like the Jews, the people who should respond are the ones who don't. And the people you wouldn't expect to respond start responding. And what do we do with that? Well, we don't lose hope because just like Paul and Barnabas, we keep on declaring the gospel to them as well as other people. We seek to proclaim it to everyone we can. We don't give up on people even if they don't respond like we want them to respond because we stand on the truth that the gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. But there's another gospel model, I would say, working out here as well. And that's the simple fact that we always must remember God does the work. And we're called to step up to the plate. We're called to be bold. We're called to put our lives on the line if needed. We're called to proclaim the gospel in the clearest ways we possibly can. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's God who does the work. We're called to be winsome and to use arguments and to be clear. But we are not the ones that change people's minds. God is. We're called to be bold and to seek to persuade people. But God, we're not the ones that God does the work. And if you don't believe me, let's just look at how Paul talks about the history of the Jewish people. And see how many times God does the work. God chose your, our fathers. God uplifted his arm and led them out of Egypt. God put up with them. God gave them their land. God gave them judges after Samuel. God gave them kings and Saul and David. He raised up David. God brought them Israel, uh, to Israel a savior, Jesus. God did this. God does, he doesn't say they did jack squat. He says God did it all. God raised Jesus from the dead. God promised this to your fathers. God raised up Jesus so he doesn't see corruption again and again. Time after time you see this. God did it. And it's true not just in the history of the Israel people, not just in Jesus' life, but it's in true in our lives and as we seek to preach the gospel as well, that God does it. And we see this in the verse 48 when it says, as the Gentiles are responding to the gospel, what does it say? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That God knew what was going to happen. God had a plan for what was going to happen. God responded. Those who he planned to respond, those who he brought to him, responded, came to life. As many as he appointed believed. We can argue about the interpretation of that verse or otherwise, but the truth stands, God is in control. God has a plan and it is being carried out and accomplished as he sees fit. That is a such an important gospel model for us to remember. 
first because it keeps us from pride. If you ever think of yourself, man, look at me, I got the gospel. Aren't I hot stuff? I want to question whether you know the gospel or not. Because it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you've achieved. It's the fact that God has saved you. And so it keeps us from pride. It keeps us from thinking we're smarter than other people. It keeps us from thinking we have this figured out when they don't. It makes us realize that only by the grace of God go I in this direction, that I have this life that he has given me. So it keeps us from this pride that we are but messengers given this message for the world and it's God that has the power to save the world. But it also keeps us from despair. Anything? This church is doomed. Not just this church. The church is doomed. It was up to us. I can't convince anyone. I can hardly convince my four-year-old daughter to do anything. How can I convince a person to see who Christ is and take that step of life? I can be winsome as possible, and I can study as long as I want, but I don't do it, so it keeps me from despair because I know that when I <coughs> step up to the plate and share the gospel, that it comes with power. Not for me, but it comes from the power of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit that uses meager and weak words that I might utter to change someone's life as they realize the gospel. <clears throat> so we need to know this gospel model. That God does this. That God ensures his gospel is spread. And we need to stand on this truth. The gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. Humanity has a need. All of humanity has this need. There's not a single person that you'll see or meet that does not have this need if they do not know Christ. Every day when you walk through this know their Savior. People need to be reconciled with their Creator. People need to have what is broken inside, healed, fixed, mended, and recreated. And that can only happen when they come to understand the gospel. It can only happen when they can see the reality of who Jesus is and respond to it and know life. All of life is disordered. All of society and even our families are disordered. Our relationships are disordered as well. But we need to go to the one who now brings order through his good news. We need that way back. That when we know the gospel and we declare the gospel, we're bringing hope to the hopeless. We're bringing healing to those who are broken. We're declaring the truth that someone who has been a sinner can now become a saint through Jesus Christ. We're now declaring to those people who are orphans and looking for some belonging can find a family in God all because of Jesus. That those who are lost can find meaning and those who are distressed can find comfort through the gospel of Jesus Christ as they know their creator and now are reconciled with their God. Humanity needs to hear that in a way in which they can respond to, in a way they can be brought back into reality. Hear this solution. Hear this gospel. And we have it. And we know it. So are we going to tell them? Are we going to proclaim with boldness 
the truth of who Jesus is so that they can hear and respond? I hope the answer is yes. For that is what we're called to, as we see again and again, that Christians are called to be part of the growth of the church by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus brings forgiveness. Join me in prayer. <coughs> Darren, Father, thank you so much for who you are, for the love that you have for us and how you have moved in our lives and through history and how you show us who you are through your word, and that we can respond to it, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we can see this truth through your word and respond to it today. That wherever anyone is that has heard this or is processing through what you have spoken through your word in this, in this book of Acts, that they can respond to it as, as you are prompting them, as you're moving them. Lord, I pray that we can be convicted if needed to be and move for you all from this great ground of assurance of where we stand because of the gospel and that you've done it all. Amen.